0: These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to episode 47 of the Headspace and Timing podcast, a show dedicated to changing the way that you think about veteran mental health, brought to you by the Change Your POV podcast network. We're doing something a little different with this episode. I've heard from readers of the Headspace and Timing blog that they'd like to come on the show and talk about something that we put out. So once a month, we're going to take some time to talk to a friend of the blog and show about a post they connected with. Today's guest is Rhiannon Gazillion, an Air Force officer and veteran advocate who's dedicated to bringing the topic of veteran mental health into the wider conversation. Rhiannon and I are going to talk about a blog post called Veterans Why So Serious, which I'm going to link to the show notes, which you can find at changeyourpov.com or veteranmentalhealth.com.
1: I would really attribute um, my being alive today to having an excellent counselor in the mindset that you get in sometimes with depression, you're not thinking rationally. Um, So my family who loved me, I didn't believe that they could possibly love me. My husband who is super caring, um, I thought that I didn't deserve him. So when I'm in that low place, um, it really took an outside person was this trusted mental health professional that I had to bring my attention to the, um, to the, uh, really the falsehoods that I was buying into the things that I was believing that were untrue. Um, so even if you have a lovely and supportive family like I do, um, for me in the mindset that my depression gets me in, I can't believe them. Um, so I think that I really credit her with saving my life and keeping me accountable for how I'm feeling.
0: Welcome to the Change Your POV Podcast Network. You're listening to Headspace and Timing, a show dedicated to breaking down the stereotypes about veteran mental health. My name's Dwayne France, and I'm a combat veteran of both Iraq and Afghanistan. After I retired from the Army, I took on a new mission as a clinical mental health counselor for my fellow service members. If you served in any branch of the military, you're familiar with the M2 machine gun, the 50 cal. It's one of the most effective weapons in the military's arsenal. If the weapon's headspace and timing wasn't set right, however, it was just a huge, useless chunk of metal. Veterans can be rendered inoperable if their headspace and timing isn't set correctly either. That's my goal with this show. To change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health and reduce the stigma against seeking support. Each week, we'll talk with mental health professionals, veterans, and those who support veteran service members and their families. We're going to have real and honest conversations about a topic that most just don't like to talk about, veteran mental health. Let's jump into this week's conversation. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Headspace and Timing podcast. Once again, and as always, I really appreciate you taking your time to check out this uh, this show and, and all the shows talking about federal mental health. We know there's a lot of different things you could be doing with your time. There's a lot of different things you could be listening to, and the fact that you're listening to this uh, means a lot to us and means a lot to the Change Your POV podcast network. Uh, so uh, we often have on um, you know mental health professionals talking about what they're doing with uh, uh, regarding uh, mental health for veterans uh, and we often have on veterans who sort of want to talk about their own experience uh, with their mental health journey uh, and this uh, this show falls into that really second category uh, but this is also a show about uh, you know a little bit more about the the Headspace and Timing blog so I wanted to start bringing on some friends of the show and friends of the blog I hear a lot from uh, from readers and listeners about some of the things that uh, that we're doing and you uh, and I figured I'd like to, to share that with the audience. So today, uh, I've got uh, a veteran, her name is uh, Re Gazillion, and uh, Re is a uh, former Air Force, right, Re?
1: That's correct.
0: Yep. Yeah. So uh, Ree is uh, is coming on the show to talk a little bit about some of the stuff and then uh, some of her experiences. So Ree, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. I've been a little bit of a fangirl. You know, I follow you on Twitter. Um, And I've been listening to the podcast, following the blog for a little bit, um, and I just really appreciate the work that you're doing uh, and relaying, um, you know, the resources that are out there um, and the reasons that folks should access them.
0: That's great. I'm not going to be so self-deprecating as to now I have three listeners, you, my wife, and my mother, Um, because I know we have (laughs) a little bit more than that. uh, That's a fan club. It is a fan (laughs) club. We're Anywhere, you know, we're three. But uh, no, I appreciate it. And I appreciate uh, even the response and reaching out. Um, But before we get into a little bit of that, uh, I'd like to have you tell the audience a little bit about uh, maybe your background and your experiences.
1: For sure. So um, I was an Air Force brat. And uh, when it came time to pick my branch of service, I went with the devil that I knew, which was the Air Force. Um, I joined uh, ROTC at Boston University and did four years of training with them, commissioned in 2007. Uh, Right before I commissioned, I had a spot for Intel School um, at Goodfellow in Texas, and my commander came to me and said, hey, would you like to be an air battle manager? And I said, what's that? (laughs) Um, It turned out there was a critical shortage in the field, and I decided that um, I would give it a shot. I called my dad first. He is always my consultant on military things, and he said, well, if you go that route, you'll get crew rest, which is where you're forced to sleep. Um, You'll have the best accommodations i say you know go for it so i took his advice um i leaned into it and uh and never looked back so they changed my um my tech school date and moved it to october i graduated had a summer of uh kind of just fun employment and then i went to alabama for my initial training so after that i did tech school um in Tyndall Air Force Base, Florida. I, I went to the undergraduate air battle, battle management training course. Um, graduated from that course in 2009 and moved to Rapids Air Force Base, Georgia, which is uh, the home of a lot of things. There are many commands there, but my platform was the EHC Joint Stars. And I went through my initial training there, went to the 12th um, Airborne Command and Control Squadron, and from there I deployed three times in support of Operations Enduring Freedom, Uh, Iraqi Freedom and New Dawn in staff positions, um, on crews, and uh, after that became an instructor at the schoolhouse down in Tyndall that had trained me. And I got out of the military in 2014 uh, in September. I knew that I wanted to help veterans find employment. And I didn't know that there were people that got paid to do that. <laughs> so, as soon as I found that out, I applied for uh, a job at the state of Maine as a disabled veterans outreach program specialist. And I worked there for about a year and a half. Um, I got scooped up from there to go to Easter Seals Maine as they stood up their homeless veterans reintegration program. Um, and I've been doing that for the last uh, year and eight months. And I just uh, left that position to pivot into a different field. Um, so, that's the the bio, the stuff that you would put on the internet. Um, and I also have my own mental health journey in that, which I'm not sure if you want to, um, start now or get into a little bit later. Well,
0: and, and, and it was, and, and as I was listening to that, that's exactly it. There's these stories that we tell everyone, uh, and, and it sounds, uh, pretty neat, right? You know, it's, um, hua, hua awesome. I mean, and, and even, <laughs> um, just to, you know, and, and people say, you know, Air Force deploys. Well, of course they deploy. And, and you've had, uh, you know, three deployments. There's a lot of information to pack into seven years and kind of uh, sum it up into to three to five right. minutes. And if that is the only, um, the only face that we show the world, then everybody mm-hmm. would say, well, of course, she doesn't have any problems. There's no concerns there. Uh, so um, why get on a veteran mental health podcast then?
1: I think that um, it's exactly that reason, which is I found myself in a position where I was helping others, um, specifically, you know, my fellow veterans, which was a dream come true for me. It was exactly what I wanted. Um, And I basically had the one face that I was showing someone else where I'm an authority in this topic. And, uh, you know, I've I've been there and I've done this. And if you listen to me, you're going to get a job. But there's an underlying current when you're looking for job search of incredible vulnerability and a lot of information starts coming out about people's struggles during job search. And one of the things that was tough to me was maintaining that professional boundary um, where I had uh, issues with uh, PTSD, depression, anxiety, and I knew what they were going through more than I was able to let them know. Mm -hmm. And that felt a little bit stifling. So when you're there, you're there in the service of another person. You only disclose if it's, you know, in the service of that person. Um, But there were a lot of times that I wished I could just take off my badge and say, hey, you're not alone. Um, You're not alone in your struggle and recovery is possible. So that's why I like to come on. um, And I love talking about mental health. And I kind of made a decision about six months ago that I was prepared to tell my story Um, and that I was prepared to accept the risk of that. So if there's stigma, if there's consequences for sharing the story, I'm okay with that, Um, and I'm able to do that because I'm supported um, and I have a great network.
0: No, and that, I think, is is very clear, and as you said, that's really the goal of of this show Uh, and then the blog is to say that, uh, um, you know, we're not either one or the other. We're not these, uh, you know, awesome, high-tech uh, High-flying Air Force officers, or you know, <laughs> these growl pound. I mean, we are that. That that is a portion of who we are, and uh, we also have challenges related to you know our military service, uh, combat, non-combat, and things like that. Um, it doesn't mean we're one or the other. It means that we're both. Uh, and then putting those two things together and getting help means that we become a better version of ourselves. And I think um, that's a lot of uh, some of the feedback that I've gotten is, "Oh, you're you're." You know, perpetuating a stereotype, right? You're you're perpetuating the <laughs> stereotype of the broken warrior, um, whereas this is a very complicated issue. Um, Absolutely, it's, it's not that we're broken warriors; it's that we are warriors, uh, and um, we have challenges. Both those things are true.
1: That's a hundred percent true. And I, um, just my experiences in my first year and a half working with veterans on employment, um, I started to feel more and more. The issues that held folks back from employment, um, whether they be health, mental health, um, sometimes poverty, sometimes homelessness, whatever those barriers were, they were not veteran issues, they were human issues. And I started to really look at veterans as humans before anything else. Um, and it sounds almost very obvious to say, but the the things that we face are things that um, are... Uh, they they exist in society as a whole. We don't have a monopoly on them, and I think the more that we open up and tell our stories, the more normalizing it becomes. And I think the more it can close that gap between um, what's called the you know military civilian divide.
0: No, I I think that's absolutely true. Many times um, people will look at, at at me and and even hearing your bio there, they say, well, of course she's uh, you know she's high-flying, she's hardcore, she's good at what she does, um, you know, she is a veteran, um, and so either she doesn't have any problems or um, the other side of the label, you know, she, that you're a hero um, or that uh, that you're broken, that you're, you know, just mm-hmm. because you deployed um, that, uh, that, you know, you, you have something wrong. I think I've said it before on the show, but I actually had a, a colleague, a psychologist, as a matter of fact, who works with veterans, Uh, We were talking, and she asked me how many deployments I had, and I said, oh, I had five, and she said, well, of course you have PTSD,
1: and Um, I said,
0: you know, and I, mm -hmm. I, well, um, two of those deployments, the latrine was in the same building I slept in, so they weren't really hard deployments, (laughs) Um, so let's let's not jump to conclusion that, you know, automatically I I was hanging off the side of a cliff, um, you know, and there were two challenging deployments, sure, but So so trying to break down that that sort of um, automatic assumption, um, Mm. it's very critical.
1: It really is. And I had um, an interesting experience when I finally did seek help um, from a counselor, a private counselor, once I got out of the military. Um, And she, you know, did the initial intake paperwork. And in order to charge insurance, they have to have a diagnosis, of course. So um, she shared my diagnoses with me. Um, Partly as a way of validation and they were anxiety, which didn't surprise me. I said, okay Depression, which made an awful lot of sense for the amount of crying that I was doing and the amount of nothing that I was doing (laughs) And then the third one was PTSD and I pushed back pretty hard on that one because I have friends who um, Have PTSD and came to it through combat trauma Um, And so for me, that was what PTSD meant Um, So I couldn't embrace that, and it took me about four or five months to finally come to terms with it, observing the effects of it in my own life. Um, But yeah, the assumption that, well, you're a veteran, you deployed, you probably have PTSD is A, a false assumption, and B, you can have PTSD from things that are completely unrelated to deployment.
0: Yes, I mean, and that's that's uh, exactly true, um, and, and that's one of the reasons why when you reached out and and kind of told me a little bit of your story, um, I definitely even more uh, wanted to get you on the show to be able to talk about that, and it's to to kind of um, you know break down that stigma. Uh, before we get into that, though, of course this is uh, sure. this is all very serious um, uh, serious topic, serious subject, very but serious. one of the Blog post that you wanted to talk about was one of my most recent ones, uh, talking about why are we so serious? You know, I'm I'm a <laughs> yes, uh, I am a, a combat veteran, mental health counselor. I carry the weight of of uh, you know trauma around, and uh, it's so very serious. But um, but I I wrote that post um, because if we are so serious all the time, um, then uh, then it can be a, a pretty big burden. Uh, And I'm going to link to that post in the show notes, but I'd like to hear sort of your take on that uh, blog post.
1: Absolutely. I was so tickled when I um, read just the title of it that I, of course, had to finish reading the blog. And what I loved about it was that um, it's so true. The people with the best senses of humor um, that I know in my life, and again, this is, I'm going to paint with a broad brush, (laughs) are the veterans in my life and um, the first responders in my life and they've got such an excellent sense of humor that sometimes when it comes to um, what we talk about publicly about our experience as veterans, tends towards a lot of solemnity, which I do understand. Um, It tends toward, uh, you know, occasional indignation, um, which I also understand in certain circumstances. But the piece we leave out is just the hilarious things that happen as a byproduct of serving the military. That's not all things that happen when deployed. Although I loved your story about the goats.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean the, the, the thing. Let me uh, so, um, and, and listeners again, if you haven't uh, read this, uh, but uh, I'll talk a little bit about it. My, um, uh, I was on patrol. Um, I was I was uh, escorting, I believe, some local national vehicles, and and we were, I don't know, I, regardless of what we were doing while we were there, and we were driving through Jalalabad, uh, and there was this minivan. Uh, and the minivan had two goats tied to the roof. Now, if you are a veteran, and you are in, you know, if you deployed to Iraq or Afghanistan, this is a typical way that people transport livestock. Um, if you're not in the military, then you don't recognize that this is something, and this is going to be weird to you. But as, as we're driving, I'm sitting there, I'm staring at these goats, uh, and then my driver, you know, hits her horn or something like that, and then the goat lifted up its head and, like, looked at me and freaked me out, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> uh you know and, and, and we see that kind of stuff right while we're while we're deployed and those you know those are the easy stories to tell but we can think back on our military service and think about those dumb memories um to really counter uh, counterbalance some of the the harder ones
1: absolutely and accounting for both i think is um is really crucial in integrating the experience as a whole um we tend to focus on the real serious stuff or the stuff that sticks with us and we didn't ask it to stick with us um but accounting for the humor, um, both you know the humor of our coworkers and the humorous experiences that we went through, um, I think is a super uh, just a nice way to balance that out. Um, and it's not going to get rid of any of the the tough memories, but it's going to supply kind of a fuller picture. And I think the more that you practice humor, the more it's accessible to you as a coping mechanism. Um, and I, I could probably, <laughs> I, if I were to be assessed in this way, I think that maybe I relied too heavily on humor as a coping mechanism um, to the detriment and atrophy of some other coping mechanisms, but it's never hurt me. So um, I'm a big fan of exercising that humor muscle. And I loved some of your suggestions in the article for how to do that um, in terms of uh, you know, watching something silly, something that um, is maybe a little bit absurd or a little bit funny i um, right down to some you know, cartoons. I I have a couple of programs that I watch um, that are effectively that me checking out of my head and allowing myself to kind of um, venture through this absurdist landscape a little bit.
0: Yeah, I mean, and there's there's really nothing uh, wrong with it. Right. You know, we don't have to be so heavy, so serious all the time. Um, you know, maybe you might not be a Monty Python fan, but I am, and, <laughs> and, and I can't really be in a bad mood if I'm watching, uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, right? I mean, it's just so dumb or, you know, and I think in there, I, 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 am a, I'm a big fan of old, um, uh, 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 Marx Brothers movies and, and I've got, uh, you know, all the movies saved and, um, and, and it's one of those things, it's one of the things that we teach, uh, in, in mental health counseling is if you're feeling a certain way, watch something or do something that causes a different emotion. You know, if you're angry, yes. you don't watch something that makes you angry. Watch something that makes you laugh or even makes you um, watch something scary. Right. Make something that but it's but watch something or do something that that takes you out of the emotion you're in and gets you into a different emotion. And then you're able to get go back and, and work on that.
1: Exactly. There's a transportational power, I think, to comedy. Um and comedy has been a really important part in, you know, uh, me separating from the military too, in terms of, um, just really enjoying, um, parks and recreation as <laughs> the, the one I have to throw out there that ended just as my military service was ending. Um, and I, it's the one show that I will watch every single week, um, when it was on and, it's just such a positive uh, show. It makes fun of itself, but it doesn't really um, it's good natured um, and it's something that I really, really enjoy. Um, but you know, we all have such ridiculous experiences while we're in from I loved your example of having a meeting to prepare for meetings that were just to prepare for other meetings <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. and And that happens in the civilian world too and and that's something that uh, <laughs> that veterans are very, very uh, familiar with, but yeah,
1: exactly. Um, I loved that, and it made me kind of think of some funny experiences from when I was in the military. Um, And it's funny because when you put yourself on the spot to think about it, it's a little difficult, but there are really so many to pick from. Uh, I thought of one which was from one of my deployments in support of OEF, um, and there was just a really bad radio reception day. And so the uh, unit that was controlling the airspace asked us to do some radio relays for them because our platform had. A communication suite that was able to kind of complement theirs and so i did about 36 radio relays from them and there was a lovely controller um, at the combined unit that um, was controlling the airspace um, who was super polite he was british and they're the most polite controllers (laughs) (laughs) known to man every time i would relay something for him he would say thanks a million and so i counted and at the end of the mission he had thanked me 36 million times But they're just silly things that, um, you know, in the moment it's just happening and it just kind of might make you smile. And then later when you look back on it, it'll make you chuckle.
0: Yeah. And those are the points that, uh, again, if if we're always focusing on or, or looking at, um, you know, these these heavy, um, you know, heavy subjects uh, that we can get lost in that and we can kind of uh, wander around in the dark places in the woods and. Um, Uh, Rather than, um, you know, uh, getting pulled out of that for whatever reason, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's uh, and as I've often said here uh, on the podcast, um, and and this is an audio podcast, you can't really see it. Maybe I'll I'll do a video one sometime. But my office looks like a retired first sergeant's office. I got maps on the walls and my guide on, you know, and 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 so it's a it's a little bit more military than what someone would think of a typical, uh, uh, you know, therapist's office. Uh, but I've got a, a, a nice table with my coins inside. And uh, and anybody who has served in the military knows that these coins are, are each a story. They represent a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I'll actually use that with veterans. If we're dealing with something particularly hairy or, or something like that, then, you know, close to the end of the session, I'll say, hey, pick out a... Pick out a coin and I'll tell you a story. And it's usually a dumb story and it's usually something that, <laughs> you know, that, uh, you know, getting caught playing Monopoly at NTC by a one-star general or something like that.
1: You know, and it's, <laughs> and
0: it's something to really break the, you know, break the ice and, and remind us that um, there is a life of joy possible uh, beyond mm. just this, uh, this, this kind of stress life.
1: I really love the word you chose there, joy, um, because to me humor is a big access point to joy. Um, there's a lot of things that I find joyful. And when I'm in the depths of maybe depression, um, or I'm very stressed about something that's going on, um, it's a little bit difficult to access joy as this kind of raw, really positive feeling. Um, But I think that the humor is a little bit of a connector to that. Um, And the other reason I'm so glad you said joy is that one of the um, things that I'm learning um, to apply in my own life is that Joy and pain are um, not mutually exclusive, mm-hmm. and they're things that we can identify um, happening at the same time in our lives. And I think that there's a tendency for us to want to gravitate towards the pain um, because it's overwhelming sometimes. And when pain overwhelms, you're not looking for the joy that's out there. Um, and I'm not talking about county or blessings. I'm talking about individual moments of joy that might crop up wherever they are your dog coming up to, you know, rest his head on your knee um, or the way the light is coming through the trees if you're an appreciator of light the way I am. Um, I think that humor is a great access point to that feeling of momentary joy and appreciation.
0: And I think that's a, a critical point is that joy is possible uh, in spite of and many times even because of uh, the, the things that have happened to us. Um, you know, some really great things happen to us, some really horrible things happen to us. We've done really great things and we've done really horrible things. Um, mm-hmm. and so a, a lot of people will say, okay, there's just this stuck point. Um, mm-hmm. and that this, you know, and, and we can enjoy the suck, right? You know, that's that's the thing, especially <laughs> as us ground pounders are, you know, embrace the stuck and I, and I, oh, I love this suck so much. Um, and, and so yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's there's some element of that, you know, and 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 actually enjoying a, a 12 or 14 mile ruck march. Um, but, but we don't enjoy, um, the pain. We don't enjoy, you know, dredging up these memories of these things. Um, mm-hmm. but there's a way in, in thinking that they're, they're so painful, we avoid approaching them. And therefore we rob ourselves of the joy that's on the other side of them and, and how you were saying that recovery is possible. As I yes. said in the blog uh, post, uh, it, we do life, but are we truly enjoying life? Um, post-military life isn't meant to suck. Uh, it's right. meant to be appreciated.
1: It's Exactly, and I think that um, the, the period of transition that you go through, which we think of as two to five years, but really it can take a decade to really transition. It can take longer. It's different for everybody. Um, And it's all normal. (laughs) It all depends on what your circumstances are. But that period of transition, you're kind of waiting for, all right, I'm going to come out the other side, and I'm going to suddenly be myself. I'm going to be this new identity. I'm going to be happy. Um, And that puts an awful lot of pressure on the future, and not a lot of attention on the now. And what I'm learning is that what's effective for me is to notice moments of joy now, and as I notice them, file them away in my brain um, to say, all right, I want more of this. So if I want to see more of like beautiful light streaming through trees, maybe I need to be outdoors more. And I'm using it as um, kind of a a happy pinpoint (laughs) that I can take and use that information and that data to contribute to a a more joyful future Um, and also to help assess my values. All right, for this long in my life, I've valued X, Y, and Z. At this point, what do I value now? And taking a real assessment, taking stock of your values, and giving um, yourself a chance to live in accordance with them, I think is um, really for me the hallmark of like a successful transition. Um, you've identified your values and what's important to you now, and you're living by them.
0: No, and I think that's a, that's a really great observation. I mean, there is a shift. There's a shift in our mindset. You know, we we think, uh, oh, I'll be so glad um, that, uh, that they no longer have to stand in formation. Uh, and here's my Air Force <laughs> joke, whereas, uh, a formation is where, uh, a group of people stand in one place at one time. I know Air Force Ooh. doesn't do formation so much, but, no. <laughs> uh, but, but you, but you don't want to have to, um, you, you know, I'm, I'm so glad that I'm, you know, I don't have to wear the uniform and I'm, I'll be so happy when I'm not. And then when you don't, uh, cause I live close to a military base, Fort Carson, as I go walk my dogs in the morning, Um, I'll listen to, uh, you know, Reveille go up in the sound of the cannon Mm and and I'll and I'll look back on that things that I was so happy to get away from. And I and I kind of almost wish I was there a little bit. And so making that shift to say, okay, you know, that was that in my place in that life. And and this is my place in this life and not trying to hold on to that. uh, That's a that's a really good way of, of looking at making the transition. The transition is as much psychological and it is mostly psychological in my opinion, um, yes. rather than just, um, you know, getting a job and, and, and having something else to do with your life.
1: Exactly. And, um, and speaking of getting a job, that's, you know, been my work for the last three years. So the reason that I decided to, um, go into the veterans employment space, um, was I decided a couple of years before I left the military, um, I've been doing a lot of reading i've been staying up on a lot of um, veteran issues and the issue of veteran unemployment and something that frightened me was um, a possible return to um, what the they called in world war ii um or excuse me world war one ernest hemingway talked about a lost generation
2: Mm -hmm, so a generation of
1: folks that went away to war came back and the skills that they had acquired for war um as you you would say weren't serving them in this new circumstance, and they weren't able to take on gainful employment. So um, you know, technical industry, uh, the trades were missing workers in that age demographic because, um, because of uh, effectively their new kind of mindset um, and their inability to grab these new skills. And I was a little bit worried about um, the possibility that, that might happen with our generation. We're a generation that's been at war for well over a decade. Um, and our youth have been bearing the brunt of that um, So I thought what what is a great way to get people integrated get them a renewed sense of purpose its employment So I chose employment as the sector that I wanted to go into I don't have a degree in mental health counseling Although I'm very interested in mental health um, <clears throat> And I got my job at the state and what I began to find was that when someone comes to you saying help me find a job often they're saying I have a problem in my life that I want to fix by getting a job. Um, it's not just the job, um, but it's the job that is the uh, aspirational way or the practical way of approaching solving this problem.
0: Well, and that's what we're told as we leave the military um, is the solution. Um, and and obviously, you know, the solution to paying the bills is getting a job. but. But uh, that's that's the idea that uh, you know if you get a job then you'll be okay, um, and and yes. that that is the solution, um, where there's underlying concerns um, that that may or may not make that true. Uh, I mm-hmm. really appreciate how you brought out that uh, the idea of the World War One generation. I've I've written before about how I think that veterans such as you and I and and those uh, of our generation. Uh, that we have the potential to be this century's greatest generation. Um, That uh, just as the post-World War II generation um, was a lot of the economic and political and social driving aspects of that generation, that we have the potential uh, to be the same for this century. Um, Mm -hmm. We don't have the same numbers, but we have platforms such as this to amplify our voice. Yes. Equally potentially, however, we have the ability to become the post World War One generation, and so we're standing at this crossroads of: mm-hmm. Are we going to be a generation that is lost and a generation um, that is um, uh, that is is you know unfocused, or are we mm-hmm. actually going to be a generation that um, that that's actually going to take? hold of of the future and get involved uh and and i'm beginning to think that we have that actually both are going to be true that there's going to be a segment of veterans that do become lost and there's going to be a segment of veterans that are going to to um say you know screw that i'm not going to go that way (laughs) uh and and make a difference um and and i think that's very tragic that that split is occurring maybe or is going to occur
1: i would say that i fully agree with your assessment and that the um, the way that we can tip the balance towards there being a greater segment of folks in the greatest generation category and a, a smaller segment of folks who are lost um, is by normalizing mental health treatment. Um, the thing I I am by no means saying that every person that I met for job search you know would benefit from um, from seeing a mental health counselor, but I would say that a lot of the things that that make it difficult for us to get and keep a job would be very, um, I won't say easily, but readily fixed by somebody who is a professional mental health um, counselor. And those are things from um, stress tolerance to attention issues, um, to identifying triggers and choosing a workplace that doesn't leave you constantly on edge um, there are a lot of things that are self-knowledge that a counselor can help you arrive at um, that a, an employment counselor alone is probably not going to dig in and do that work with you. Um, so I do think that what you're doing and normalizing um, veteran mental health in all of its you know, shapes and forms and degrees um, is going to help those folks who may be tending towards feeling lost.
0: You know, and, and, and that's exactly true. I, I am not someone who is going to help you get a job. Um, I mm-hmm. am someone who's going to um, help you um, get the job. I mean, not not in the way yes. I'm, I'm going to help you with the resume, but I'm going to help you become more aware of your tendencies to do different things. Um, so that you have the ability to go out and get that job, or, or be comfortable in the workforce, or make that transition. Um, you know, as you said before, that transitioning and awareness, it can either happen uh, by yourself, or it can happen with the support of other people. Uh, and mental health professionals are u- uniquely um, qualified uh, to be able to do that. Uh, I often uh, tell my clients, I'm, I'm not an answering machine, right? You can You can right. go to Google, and you can type in the question that you have, um, and Google will give you the answer. Uh, but I'm more like a mirror. I, I, I hear what you tell me and I reflect back to you what I'm hearing you say. Uh, and that may raise a level of awareness in you. And that may say, you know what, I, I didn't realize that um, the reason I don't like the full moon is because, you know, um, every time we had, you know, full moonlight... Uh, in afghanistan was i got attacked you know so there's this Mm. it's a way to help uh, generate that and say you know do i want to believe that that was true then do i want to continue to believe that now and i can actually control uh, what i choose to pay attention to Uh, and that's where mental health counseling can really help a veteran um, put some of these things to rest was that how it was for you
1: um, it, it was. So one of the, my biggest frustrations, with I, I have a really easy um, counseling story, which is that the first counselor that, that I hired was the one that I'm still with now. And I understand that's kind of a unicorn scenario um, when it comes to finding a therapist. But um, one of my frustrations with my therapist is when I ask her a question or what I should do, and she won't give me an answer. <laughs> <laughs> she makes me work through it and helps guide me through it. Um, so the thing that she helped make me aware of um, was really my triggers. And having awareness around my triggers immediately made those triggers first feel smaller and, um, and also made me aware of what was happening in my mind and in my body when I was approached by those triggers or when I encountered those triggers. Um, so for me, that was a really enlightening experience. And it was one that due to where my head was at, I could never have done in a self-guided way. Um, so really having this external um, sounding board and somebody who is trained to listen um, and really listen was invaluable to me. Um, so for example, one of my triggers was anytime I felt trapped, um, I mm-hmm. would go into kind of a full-blown panic, you know, you know the body sweats, the feeling dizzy, tunnel vision, um, all of that. And a couple of those pain points for me were the checkout at the grocery store when somebody comes up behind you in line and you're literally trapped mm-hmm. um, or being stuck in traffic and the fact that she named those two things Made me much more aware of what my options were in that scenario. I could either recognize Okay, you're in line at the grocery store and someone's behind you. You're stuck here But if you really need to get out you could um, or being in traffic um just being aware of what was going on and knowing that I had an option potentially to, you know, pull over and just take a second um, was really, really empowering for me because I no longer felt helpless in those scenarios.
0: You know, that, uh, that goes to a lot of um, veterans. uh, I think I see that try to manage their environment, Um, Hmm. that, that they try to control the environment rather than controlling the way that we react to the environment. And so I could see, Uh, Someone who hadn't, um, you know, gone to, um, you know, a counselor and identified that uh, they would avoid driving uh, or they would avoid going to, you know, they would use self-checkout or they would, I mean, go to extreme lengths to not put themselves in that situation um, because that they weren't aware of that uh, versus um, trying to control me in the environment. Um, I am not a fan of the, um, you know, please don't use fireworks because um, a veteran lives here. Um, you know, it's we, we didn't yes. do that when we were in the military. We didn't require the environment to adapt to us. We adapted ourselves to the environment. Uh, and somehow we think that now once we get out, we have to require everyone else um, to modify how they live their lives to be able to make us feel better. Where, um, you know, as you know, and, and many people know, uh, we we cannot control anyone um, or anything uh, outside of ourselves. We have the ability to make those adjustments within ourselves, and that's it.
1: Yes, that was there was so much liberty to me in learning that concept. Um, the concept, a little bit of self management, and just the awareness of what is going to set me off. So, um, I've been with my therapist for two and a half, no, three years, um, and I've also gone through three bouts of intensive outpatient therapy. Uh, because my depression does tend towards suicidal ideation, um, which is not a fun place to be, and it's not the safest place to be. So I was able to identify through going through these IOP programs that one of my triggers was um, incongruence um, in the face of injustice. So when somebody had wronged usually one of my veterans, um, having to you know politely smile and shake their hand to preserve their relationship um, really upset me. So it was something that uh, that learning that and learning that there is injustice and you can say your piece in the face of it, um, but you cannot change what the other person thinks or believes. Um, that was really uh, eye-opening for me. And it took three times <laughs> of the same type of uh, problem for me to finally... Um, embrace that I can say my piece I can be congruent I can share my beliefs and the facts around the situation and beyond that what happens is not within my control and that's okay
0: and I think that's a big thing of of giving up that control is not something that's comfortable for veterans you know I mean no. of course there were things that uh, that were not in our control um you know when you were you know in the aircraft or, or you were in you know um uh, doing what you were doing or or anybody in any situation you don't have control um and and then when we get out, we feel as though we need that control um mm. but but it doesn't always work, and we can kind of um uh we can kind of implement that control within ourselves and in the idea of um you know and, and you've really touched on them here um you know employment as a problem for veteran suicide. Uh, we know about the, uh, the the epidemic of veteran suicides, um, and then you said you worked with homeless uh, homeless veterans for a period of yes. time. These are all big problems that people want to solve, but I don't see them as problems. I see them as indicators of the deeper problem, the core problem, which is unaddressed and undiagnosed mental health. Um, and And it's not saying that veterans are broken, but um, you know, we go through unique challenges, unique situations in our military Mm -hmm. career that others don't go through, um, and that that leads to struggles with housing, employment, and suicide. So we're not going to, in my opinion, solve the veteran suicide problem or the veteran unemployment problem or the veteran homeless problem until and unless we address the veteran mental health problem and help the veterans get to those places
1: on their own. What do you think about that? I truly, truly believe that. And um, when we talk about mental health, too, we talk a lot about um, some issues that people might want to distance themselves from. Um, maybe somebody doesn't want to look at a PTSD diagnosis. Maybe they don't want to talk to a counselor because they're concerned that a diagnosis would um, would you know preclude them from using firearms. There's a lot of unique barriers I think in the veteran community to accessing mental health but it doesn't always have to be for um, PTSD or depression or anxiety. The stress of military transition alone um, is is problematic in a lot of people's lives. Um, and I think that approaching it as bringing someone onto your team to help you solve these problems um, or challenges, they're not even problems, um, is super crucial. So I would urge people, even if they're not reaching a point where they can't get out of bed like I couldn't get out of bed. They can barely leave the house. Um, you know, going out in public puts them into a panic. Even if you're not at that point, you can absolutely benefit from bringing somebody on your team to talk through the stresses of transition. Um, we had a, uh, a conference last summer, and we had a, a briefer, a doctor from um, home base in Boston, come up and discuss transition stress versus PTSD. And the symptomology was all identical with two exceptions, which were flashbacks and nightmares, which means that all of those other symptoms you can have during transition stress. That's a lot. That's a lot to handle on your own. So um, I would really urge someone who maybe doesn't um, suspect that they have uh, a mental health issue, but does need some help sorting things and, things out to reach out um, and, and find a... A confidant, a counselor, um, somebody that you can really trust to help you work through those uh, concerns.
0: Man, and I didn't even pay you to say any of that. None of that. <laughs> was, uh, I mean, it's you not can like
1: Venmo me, me later.
0: <laughs> yeah, but but I but that's exactly right. I mean, we focus on these these uh, these conditions, and and I'll provide a link to the uh, Veteran Mental Health Boot camp. It's that series of. Uh, of podcast episodes that I did. I think it's starting with uh, episode 25 and it's looking at all of this, um, mm-hmm. that, uh, that yes, there is the diagnosis, um, you know, the, the, the things that are in the book, PTSD, traumatic brain injury, substance abuse, and, and emotional dysregulation, depression, um, mm-hmm. anxiety, and things like that. Those are all things that are able to be diagnosed. Those are all things that have a medication um, that, mm-hmm. uh, that can work in, in many ways or doesn't work in some other ways. Um, They're all things that the um, insurance pays for, and and they're all things that the VA pays for, for for disability. Uh, But then there are the other factors that that what you're talking about, transition stress, uh, lack of purpose and meaning. I'm no longer doing what I used to do, um, and it it doesn't feel as important now as I did before. Uh, Moral injury, the guilt and the shame about things that happened or didn't happen just my ability to meet my needs. And that's where, where you were focusing on is, is a veteran who, who can't get a job and who can't be housed. Um, I was actually talking to somebody recently um, who was uh, referring a colleague, it's really hard to talk about your inner child when you're wondering where you're sleeping tonight. Um, yes. So oh my those gosh, yes. not being able to meet our needs and then the family situations, those are four areas that a veteran needs to be functional in um, just as much as, uh, you know, the PTSD symptoms and the, the emotional symptoms, substance abuse and TBI. And, and so looking at the entire comprehensive veteran mental health, um, that's where um, working with the mental health professional, as you said, getting somebody on your team. Um, you know, I, I have a mentor. I, I have a mm-hmm. mentor um, that, that helps me, you know, as a mental health professional. Uh, We have coaches, Uh, you know, if you you look at any high-powered executive, they have executive coaches uh, that will come in and help them be better. You know, um, the Winter Olympics is just uh, finishing up. They didn't get there by themselves. They have an entire team to include coaches, and those coaches weren't polite to them all the time. They pushed them, and they, you know, and they Mm -hmm. got them to operate at a higher level. And that's where a veteran can benefit from working with a mental health counselor. Um, But but a lot of times they don't do that.
1: Yes. And um, I think that there's so many reasons and you've discussed many on your podcast um, that would be barriers for people. Um, So, for example, in our state, um, if you are of um, working um, age, um, so still, you know, pre-retirement and if you are able bodied, there are not resources for you for health care if you can't afford it yourself. Um, and that's been a real um, issue with, with veterans who are transitioning who maybe don't have access to VA services for whatever reason, whether it's their discharge status, um, and that's changing, thankfully. I'm, I'm really appreciative of that change to include um, OTHs uh, for mental health treatment, but there are a lot of um, of just logistical barriers to getting people care um and that's on top of the stigma and that's on top of um you know a, a poverty of resources so it's tough and i would urge folks who are able to access services um you have a resource um, available to you to do that to just go um the worst thing that happens is you get there and they tell you gosh everything is a-okay. <laughs> you can keep seeing me if you want, but, uh, you know, you don't have any issues. That's, I don't think that's ever happened. Has that?
0: Well, and, and, and actually, um, it, it has, um, uh, really? interestingly enough, um, I, um, and, and I talk about it on a recent, uh, show, um, episode 45, uh, where I, um, was talking to a veteran who, you know, things maybe weren't going all that great, and we sat down and talked and, and I was able to say, no, there is no PTSD or depression. Mm-hmm. You know, there might be a, a couple of little areas uh, here and there, but it's not something that um, you know, requires intensive treatment or anything like that. Um, you know, and I think that kind of thing is starting to uh, emerge, um, but it is very, very uncommon. Uh, typically, um, people will wait until, um, there's a crisis and a crisis has happened mm-hmm. and, and something, you know, um, has gone wrong in their life. Then they want to come in and uh, and sort of, um, you know, address it. Uh, but but you're exactly right. Um, going in and getting, you know, just just getting some awareness around, you know, uh, how things are going um, it, that it plays a huge role in. Uh, and I applaud you for uh, for doing that for yourself and then for you know advocating it for other veterans. Um, I think that the only way that we're going to get beyond this is to really have these conversations out in the open.
1: Absolutely. And um, I would really attribute um, my being alive today to having an excellent counselor. Um, in the mindset that you get in sometimes with depression, you're not thinking rationally. Um, so my family who loved me, I didn't believe that they could possibly love me my husband who is super caring Um, I thought that I didn't deserve him. So when I'm in that low place Um, it really took an outside person Who was this trusted mental health professional that I had to bring my attention to the um, to the uh Really the falsehoods that I was buying into the Mm -hmm. things that I was believing that were untrue um, so even if you have a lovely and supportive family like I do Um, for me in the mindset that my depression gets me in I can't believe them Um, so I think that I really credit her with saving my life and keeping me accountable for how I'm feeling um, because I'm inclined to want to report that I'm feeling very well Um, so once I worked with her long enough for her to observe that she asked if she could put an extra level of accountability when she checks in with me about how I'm feeling Um, so I think that that has been really crucial in my recovery is having someone who really knows what's going on and um, there's zero judgment for what's happening there's validation and there are concrete solutions and um, steps I can take to improve um, my situation so I can't say enough good things about therapy basically
0: <laughs> and and I think in, and you mentioned it earlier that it is an anomaly that one would connect with the right person uh, um, mm. the first time um, you know, I um, on one of the earliest shows, one of my fellow co-hosts, Jeff Adamek, he he kind of tells his story of he didn't get to the right person until the third time, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's very common. But a lot of veterans will will stop at that first. Well, I tried and then I ran against that wall and they didn't get me. Um, and then, um, you know, I, I just I stopped trying and it's not going to work. Um, whereas uh, that's a dangerous place to be as well.
1: It absolutely is, because um, when you lose faith in that individual uh, or just find that they're not working for you, uh, please, I would beg people to not assume that that's what it's going to be like with everybody, because um, a therapeutic relationship is also, in a way, a personal relationship It has a lot mm-hmm. to do with personality. It has a lot to do with perspective. So um, if one person doesn't work for you, that's A-OK. There's no harm in you know letting them go and finding someone new. Um, and it can only benefit you to try someone new.
0: Well, and I, I think that's something that unique that veterans experience anyway, is that we tend to um, maybe um, the the first experience is indicative of the entire experience. Um, your your right. first duty station, I think, was Georgia, you said?
1: Um, I, my first duty station after training was Georgia. That's
0: correct. Was Georgia right? It's very, very nice. We went to airborne school at Fort Benning. It's um, lots of good stuff. Uh, perhaps it might have been different if your first duty station was my not North Dakota, right? Exactly. Or or, um, <laughs> or if Fort Polk, Louisiana. Or Fort Polk, <laughs> Louisiana. That was exactly in the Army. Or if it was Twenty Nine Palms for the Marines versus Camp Lejeune mm. or San Diego, right? You know. And so that's that that initial um, that initial impression is. Um well, this is the way the Army is or the Air Force is, or the military is, uh, versus uh, no, this, you know, I have the ability to to react to that. Um, and, and I think that uh, yours is a very great testimony. and uh, and I hope that veterans uh, that are listening to this will actually kind of take it to heart and uh, and decide to maybe uh, give it a shot.
1: Thank you. And um I would also you know urge my fellow veterans not to not use a resource and you have a blog on this because you think that somebody else deserves it more than you. Mm -hmm. Um, It took a a former Marine buddy telling me that I I was basically being stupid (laughs) for not getting help. Um, And the reason I wasn't getting help was that while I'm in the air force, I'm comfortably deployed. Um, You know, I have all the creature comforts that you could want. Uh, Why do I feel so rotten and why would I get help when there's somebody right now who? Um, is, you know, outside the wire um, or in a very, very remote fob in Afghanistan um, who is struggling and can't get help. And he told me, I've been that Marine, <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I'm telling you, it doesn't matter where you are. Um, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You feel how you feel. Um, so it, it took that um, for me to finally embrace the um, the antithesis to the myth of a poverty of resources, so um, definitely you don't have to have a combat trauma to need to reach out and, um, and bring someone onto your team to help you sort things out.
0: Absolutely. No, I really appreciate you uh, coming on the show today, Ree. I, I think this is a, a really good uh, example of a veteran who uh, didn't want to allow herself to be defined by um, the mental health challenges and, and really finding joy. Uh, So if people want to reach out to you, find out what you're doing, Um, of course you're on Twitter, but uh, uh, where where else are you at on social media?
1: Um, You can find me on LinkedIn um, at ReGazillion. You can also look at my website, which is www.hirere.com, and it's not fully up and running yet, but it's going to have a focus on love and service, Um, love being uh, appreciation for the, the joyful things in our life and service, um, highlighting the people that are serving our communities um, with their skills. So um, I'm looking forward to getting that up and running and you can connect with me any of those places.
0: Absolutely. And I'll make sure that all of those are on the show notes, uh, which can be found at veteranmentalhealth.com and changeyourpov.com. Once again, thanks for coming on the show, Ree.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. You're listening to Headspace and Timing on the Change Your POV Podcast Network. Well, I guess you never know where we're going to go with those conversations, right? You know, I think Ree said what a lot of veterans are thinking. We're tired of feeling this way and we're going to do something about it. Ree reached out to a mental health counselor and it did her some good. Unfortunately, too many of our brothers and sisters are choosing a different thing to do. Isolate and ultimately choose more destructive ways to deal with it. She mentioned during the show that she tried to do the transition thing backwards, you know, produce the resume, get the job, and life will be great. It's not really going to be as good as it can possibly be until we figure out what's going on in our head, until we get our headspace and timing set correctly. That's our mission both on this show and on the Change Your POV podcast network to address all aspects of transition, the mind, the heart, working hard, playing hard, and making our post-military life as good as it can possibly be. Reset it as good as I've said it before— We have the potential, veterans today have the potential, to either be this century's lost generation or this century's greatest generation. Each veteran has an individual choice as to which group they're going to belong to. If you like this show and want to get on the show to talk about one of your favorite Headspace and Timing blog posts, drop me a line at duane at veteranmentalhealth.com. The only way we're going to change how we think and talk about veteran mental health is to get it out in the open, and I'd be happy to do that with you. Thanks again for taking the time to listen to the show. Now that you're here, make sure that you stick around by subscribing your podcast player of choice. You can find the show notes for this episode and all the episodes by going to veteranmentalhealth.com or changeyourpov.com. Sign up for updates on either or both so you don't miss another episode. While you're at it, check out the other great shows in the Change Your POV podcast network, Changing Hearts and Minds and my buddy Special Forces Weapon Sergeant Jeff Adamek, the show about outdoor adventures that us veterans love so much, Neophyte in the Woods with Andrew McDowell, and of course our flagship show hosted by Eddie Lazary and Bennett Tanton. As a matter of fact, if you go subscribe now, you'll be notified when Jeff Adamek and I talk about the Band of Brothers on the episode that's going to be released the day after this one. On that show, Jeff and I talk about the episode The Lost Patrol as part of his Band of Brothers Lessons in Leadership series. There's so much great stuff on all of these shows that you don't want to miss it. If you're looking for the total package for all the information you need to live the life you want to lead after leaving the military, you've found it. I want to thank Doc Todd for his permission to use his track, Not Alone, from his amazing album, Combat Medicine. Doc Todd is someone who's trying to bring veteran mental health out of the darkness and into the light, and you can get the album by going to www.therealdoctodd.com. Check it out, because remember, veterans, you're not alone. Ever.
2: Struggle is real, found a feast and lost a soul. Eventually, my drinking it got out of control. There in darkness I roam, struggling to find home. See, suddenly death didn't feel so alone. Twenty-two a day, destination unknown. It could have been avoided if you picked up the phone. But now you're gone, so I guess all we get is the tone. Nothing but bone weeds overgrown, pushing up stones I've triumphed over enemies, co-creating enemies. Broke out facilities that try to put an end to me. RIP, I'd rather grind tranquility. Often in tranquility. Authentic tendency, embrace my ability. Oh, faceless